Welcome to All About Art. My name is Alexandra, and I'm an art historian, curator, and writer. Within this podcast, topics relating to art history, cultural policy, the art sector, as well as a large range of other art-related topics will be covered. Conducting critical discussions, having entertaining exchanges, or just enjoying some relaxing chats? All About Art is where you'll find it all. Join me in exploring and developing cultural discourse. Welcome to another episode of All About Art. This episode is in collaboration with Art Powher Contemporary, a collaborative art project initiative that places focus on female-identifying and non-binary creatives in the arts. The CEO, Anna Morass, founded Art Pow Her with the aim of raising awareness about gender stereotypes and gender inequality while inspiring change through creativity and collaboration. Within this episode, I chat to artist Aline Alajem about her work and professional experiences. We chat about her paintings that are loaded with references to the female body, sensuality, sexuality, gender, and more. We also talk about upcoming projects and the lessons that she's learned in past ones. In Aline's works, feminine sensuality is both a metaphor and a realization of manifesting oneself. The compositions and collage-like altered scenes in her figurative paintings hint to hidden layers that flow beneath the surface. She states that moments of secret longing and pleasure are quote-unquote planted in frosty arctic landscapes, asking about the possibility and impossibility of reaching the edge of desire, becoming it or being lost in it. What I love about her works is that they challenge the historical position of women as passive subjects, either of the male gaze or of male longing. She says that female bodies no longer exist as vessels for others' desires, but they become feeling, longing heroines creating their own story. Thank you, Aline, for coming on the podcast, and thank you to Art Pow Her Contemporary for the collaboration. Before we dive into the interview, I want to talk about an initiative Aline has taken part in to support those deeply affected by the conflict in Ukraine. Through a fundraiser organized by her clique, 30 works by the likes of Cindy Sherman, Marilyn Minter, Caroline Absher, and of course Aline, will be offered for then the proceeds to be donated to the nonprofit organization Voices of Children, which provides psychological and psychosocial support to children, helping them overcome the consequences of armed conflict. The link is in the show notes to go have a look at the different works that are on offer, and if you can, possibly purchase a work. I have also included links to UNICEF and the UNHCR, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, because every little bit helps. And now, on to the interview. So, Aline, would you be able to start by telling me and the listeners about your background and your education? Did you study fine art? Yes, I, I did. I studied fine arts in Jerusalem in Betelel. Um, also studied a bit, a bit abroad, had some education in Paris, had some exchange for one semester in New York, but primarily it was my Jerusalem Betelel um, BFA degree that gave me the, the structure to go with or against. <laughs> 
did you do an MFA or did you, did you stop at a BFA in terms of your BFA? Studies? Yeah. Yeah. That was enough for me. Enough it was rewarding for, you know, like human connections, people who I've met who are my best friend to this day is like already the good reason to, to go, to do it, you know? Absolutely. And in what ways do you feel that your education has assisted you in your career and in your practice today? Well, um, interestingly, I think it's, it mostly gave me something to actually go out against to define my, something of my like pre artistic agenda through feeling limited, maybe by a certain agenda. But that was also good because I think having like a coherent setting and a coherent like environment where there is a discussion it really enables you to to be reflective on who you are what you are and of course you're going to have some issues with you know maybe some teachers or some strategies or whatever but you know ultimately it's a way to kind of crystallize your voice mine was really trying to understand how i can broaden my ambition beyond like the political identity that I felt I was expected to produce or to express. Thank you for that answer. I find that I find that really helpful because I think a lot of students, they are unhappy with some of the things that happen on a BFA or an MFA. And so kind of acknowledging that and saying, look, there are going to be teachers or approaches that you really don't agree with. And it's important to think about these things critically. And then even these disagreements or you not loving how certain things are done, that will help you define how you should proceed, which is great. And I think also in my case, it was a very like um, articulate and sometimes even blunt discussion. And in a way that was a positive thing because it really enabled me or, or my colleagues, my fellow students to have to have um, an answer or a stand. So I think um, retroactively that was, it was very good. Also, I enjoyed it. Like for me, it was a good experience. I felt like for the first time of my life, like I belonged to something after always feeling like a bit, you know, different, <laughs> which I think everybody can relate or most people can relate. And yeah, and I also had the luck of, of course, not of course, but thankfully of connecting with amazing teachers, specifically one person that really supported me through my career. And um, that was also a gift. Tell me more about your practice, because you're a figurative painter with a very wide range of subject matter. You celebrate the female perspectives on the body and sensuality, and you also look at pleasure and independence. So how did these themes develop? It started off as really kind of exploring hierarchies of control of like what is actually the control of the feminine figure or the woman in our in our time or past so I started off by having this in your face compositions of creating like these hyper lush hyper beautiful impossible to actually <laughs> access images of you know perfect bodies and yeah very kind of climax situations and that was in a way a question of the fact that the woman is a subject does it mean that she's actually in control and that was like the beginning of my more center of of my practice in 2013 i'd say something crystallized for me 
And since then it became a bit more also personal and complex, sentimental at times, a question of either as a woman or just as a human, how can I access like manifestation, transformation in a world that is quite limiting? Absolutely. You mentioned that it became quite personal and you sometimes include self-portraits. Does that make you feel vulnerable? Well, every good work is supposed to make you feel vulnerable, at, at least a little bit, you know? So if I'm feeling like I'm a tiny bit chicken shit about what I'm doing, I know I'm hitting a right spot. So it can either be me, myself, of course, if it's me there, then yeah, it's, it's more out there, it's more exposed. But I think that this is just a way, again, to talk about this is, this is my outfit, this is my home, my body, myself. So it's just an entry point to, to talk about things that I care about. We've been talking about female perspectives and um, subjectivity and objectivity or being the subject or the object. So let's talk about the role of the woman, maybe first from a personal perspective and then with your art. So how do you feel as a woman artist? Do you think that your work is received differently because you're female? 100%. But also I can say that this feeling has also shifted a lot through the last years, which I find, you know, very encouraging. I think also generally when I look at, at the world or just like at themes or the space that women artists take in the world and also personally how I feel that I can navigate this or can express myself. I think at this point, of course, it feels like our starting point is having to constantly explain and validate things more than the men who are our colleagues or not. And I think that in a way, this explaining is like a way also of taking responsibility on communicating the fact that we need to be heard and why and and what is this like shift and change that we have to do, you know, like the Me Too, we, we had to be very blunt. And since we find our voice at some point in our lives, since the moment we're done being muted or we start feeling comfortable using our voices, then we have another burden, which is the burden of explaining. That's also limiting in a way. And I think we're never really going to be done with this. But in a sense, I feel like we're also entitled to a space where we don't need to do any explaining, no explanation, no validation, because I think that it's really like narrowing down also just our way of being, of floating, of being, you know, a contradictory human, a big person. And a big person doesn't mean a strong woman. It means just being whatever you want to be. And I think that, yeah, as, as women we are maybe being asked things consistently or for example va validating the fact that i use self-portraiture which we also kind of briefly touched on and that in a way i am celebrating something i'm not only you know criticizing something and then i feel like the questions of why am i doing this all of the men artists in the history of art were not asked these questions because it was evident that you would use yourself as a way to explore things you know absolutely and that really segues into my next question because would you call yourself a feminist artist i know that you and i once had a chat about that label and that it's a bit frustrating because just because you're an artist of a certain gender 
doesn't mean that your art should be labeled as feminist art. I think that it's quite a nuanced thing. And, you know, when I was at uni, we had a class that was about feminist art in the late 20th century. But in the main classes that we had, there weren't that many women that were represented. It was either male and the canon or it was female and feminist. So tell me more about your views. Well, look, I, I am a feminist artist because, you know, that's just like my view on the world. But I think that also this definition is becoming more and more elaborate, fluent. So for me, it just means that I am curious and I'm alert and I'm present, you know, but I don't know, it doesn't have to necessarily have a specific um, manifestation in what I do. And I don't have to have this label, you know, but also I wouldn't go go on and say I am not, but it's just one part, one big part, but one part of who I am. Yeah, absolutely. And what does sex have to do with your work? What would you say to someone describing your work as pornographic? I work a lot with sex and um, definitely bringing some things to the front with like female pleasure and first of all, just bringing it to the front. And then also through this, speaking about, you know, manifestation and freedom and sacred, intimate, sexual, you know, um, moments. I have no problem with people who would call my work pornographic in a way. I think that if you want to talk about something in art, for me, the means or the way was always to be it, not only to point at it or to represent it. So, for example, in order for me to talk about impossible beauty standards, I would create impossible beauty standards. And so in order to talk about the complexity in, in porn, where on the one hand you have the sometimes delusional feeling of power and manifestation and then some other times or mostly you have the question of lack of control and you know this gap between being put on a pedestal as a woman and having like absolutely no strength in writing the narrative and all that is like super glittery and shiny and lubed and you know so it's kind of a lot to <laughs> swallow <laughs> But um, honestly, I love that. It's all glittery and shiny and lubed and it's a lot to swallow. I'm going to have to mark this podcast as explicit after that. <laughs> yes, I bring all of this to the surface and it's all there. And so if someone calls my work pornographic, yeah, sometimes it is. This is my way of, of bringing these things to to life, you know? Absolutely. And I do want to talk to you more about art censorship online and things like that a little bit later in the podcast. So listeners do stay tuned. But just to talk a little bit about your career and these opportunities that are coming up at the moment. A few years ago, you relocated to Berlin. And I wanted to ask you, how did this have an impact on your career? And what is something that you would tell any young artist who is thinking about moving to a big city? A lot. <laughs> um, well, you know, still figuring everything out. Like, I don't have so many answers. But I can say that after almost three years in Berlin, I feel like that was 
really a good decision. I started off my connection with Berlin by by being a resident artist at the Kunsthaus Britannien residency program, which is an international program that was an amazing like initial house or home for me to start connecting with the city, with people in it, with the art scene, like understanding what's going on. And well, I was pretty focused by this point because I've done residencies in other places where I spent some time in other places. I spent some time in New York. I lived twice in my life in Paris. I did like other, and I really became aware that not every door that opens you need to take. Like sometimes we like frantically as young artists, we kind of, you know, we would apply to whatever kind of comes in our way, we see something on Instagram or whatever, someone sends us something, we'll be like, okay, let's apply. And then out of like a few applications, one goes, you know, goes well and we get accepted. So we're like, oh my God, I'm going to wherever. Well, was this in my plan? Is this really going to help me? Or am I just going to have like, okay, an amazing, maybe overall general experience that is not really going to help with my career. Maybe will even leave me with some financial issues afterwards or whatever, you know? So I think by that point, when I was thinking about Berlin and the Kunsthaus Britannien, I was really like thinking, okay, this is a good place to set a base. It's an amazing like hub for art and artists. There's so much like discussion here. There are so many, it's very collegial. Every city has its ups and downs. I think you as an artist kind of want to find this balance of something that would take you further that would do you good, you know, that would be realistic, of course, in the sense of can you actually like live there for maybe you don't have to be fatal about it just for a few years, right? Never like be too fatal, you can always go back. But again, it's just like being ambitious and being like um, having your desires just like in front of you and also being a bit like realistic. Does this make sense in the path that I imagine for myself? And this made sense, you know, so it felt good also after having like this residency here. And then after a while, I decided I'm going to relocate fully. And so, yeah, my, my advice would be basically to be open, but to really kind of negotiate with yourself. Where do I see myself? How do I want to access it? Even if, okay, I want to, I want to have a, a career now I'm based in the US. I want to have a career in Europe. It doesn't have to be like, like, where is my entry point to Europe, for example? Absolutely. And I think that that's really helpful advice for anyone in the arts, even if it's not just an artist, but also curators who might want to do residencies or things like that. And I think what really is accurate is let's think about the finances. Will you be in a financial situation that might not be the best if you decide to take this opportunity. And that's something that is really important to keep in mind and to keep in mind, is it worth, what will this residency or what will this opportunity bring? Yeah, because I think a lot of times we have this feeling that going for something, we're like, you know what? Fuck it, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go for it. And we have this feeling that this is actually the manifestation of our like dreaming self, the the part of us who dares, you know, but the part that dares need to be heard and you really let it be heard like all the way. But then you gotta like really ask yourself, okay, so now that said, how is this actually gonna work? And it's a it's a hard balance in a very unstable life anyway so it is and 
you have exhibited at galleries and other art spaces before, and now you also work a little bit with Art Powher Contemporary, which is how you and I came to collaborate. So would you be able to tell me a little bit more about how you go about seeking these opportunities and what advice you would give to artists to be able to do the same? From my experience uh, until now, I'd say, and specifically through this time of the pandemic where you, we were so limited for, you know, real life action events and encounters that social media is just like incredibly significant. It's unreal. I had the privilege of connecting with amazing people um, and had quite a busy last year thanks to, to that. And I'd say that, yeah, with Anna from Art Power and other also amazing women, by the way, it was really just being out there and being open to, to communicating and being like, if I could try to articulate an advice, it would be, you know, be confident that you can really in a very easygoing, straightforward way, try to, you know, get a conversation going online. It's so legit. Yeah, just have your presence consistent there. It doesn't have to be like frantic, but it's a great way of, of connecting. If you recognize something that really resonates with you, then say it, get in touch. And also I can say that the, the Art Gorgeous Network, by the way, which is a nice way of also accessing the community and feeling maybe more comfortable initiating conversations with other people, whether other artists or other professionals, that, that's also a really lovely network that is um, primarily like for women, but not only. And it also gave me like the structure to, to meet amazing people. So that's so good to hear because this podcast was actually featured on the Art Gorgeous the other week. They're amazing. I love them. I think they're doing something super important, really. And so to my next question, you have a duo solo exhibition in Tel Aviv with a good friend of yours, Dana Yoeli, and she does amazing ceramic sculptures. I had a look at, because we were just talking about Instagram, I had a look at her Instagram and I was like, oh my goodness, this is stunning. And this is coming up in May and it'll be curated by Karen Bargill. Yeah. And can you tell me a little bit more about the show and what it will encompass and how did this opportunity come to be? Well, this is kind of just a perk of being around for a while because these are women that I've known for a few good years and we've worked together. Um, Dana, of course, is uh, one of my two best friends from, from art school that I'm so thankful for. And she is my favorite artist in Israel. <laughs> so for me, um, it, it's very natural to, to want to do something together, but, you know, actually, actually making it happen is another story. But this somehow just happened with Ken. We've both been working with through the years and we all kind of have this intuitive, you know, kind of sounds like intuitive understanding of wanting of each other. So we just said, hey, why won't we do, why don't we do something together? So the first time that Dana and myself are going to exhibit together, and the first time we're also working with Karen, it's really nice, three women, like, there'll be a lot, there'll be a lot to, to see. 
That sounds amazing. I was actually thinking about how I had a recent guest on the podcast. She's the associate director of Gallery Max Hetzler, Natalia Fuller. And I asked her what her advice would be to any artists wanting to, to seek opportunities or gallery representation. And one of the things she said was collaborate with your peers and look at who's doing what and, and, and try and have that intercollegiate, I don't know, exploration and conversation with each other. 100%. And so you have these, these two other women who you've known and who you feel have a good idea of your practice and you of theirs. And I think that that really ties in to some of the things that are really important to keep in mind when it comes to collaborating in the arts. And you also have very exciting things coming up in September. You have something with the Koenig Gallery as you have a solo booth during Misa, the Mesa in St. Agnes, which is an art fair for artists at many different points in their career, including established and emerging artists, as well as artists represented by galleries. This is taking place during Art Week in Berlin, and it'll be curated by Anna Maria Tausing. How did this opportunity emerge? This is a, a connection that was developed through my residency with Koenig. And I'm, I have to say, if I translate this to like an advice again or something like this, then that happened through the residency. And I think that having like a certain um, starting point, it's really important to create a momentum, something that will maybe defer you from other calls or other reach outs to professionals. So if you have a residency, you have even a tiny show, you have a open studio thing, it's already like a catalyst for reaching out. And so creating even like the smallest momentums, even if you don't have anything planned, like go ahead and, and, and just decide that you're doing an open studio thing, that you're doing a show with a few of your colleagues. And also while I'm at that, like, advice mode, then I would say always be open to welcoming people for conversation, regardless of, you know, where they are at professionally, because you never know, never judge, never judge on, on, on hierarchies or whatever, like always be open because things can happen. Like you really never know. I think that that really rings true with me. It's like, you think about, don't look at reputation per se or Instagram followers or whatever. It's very much about the dedication and professionalism and passion that someone can bring to the table that can be just as valuable and as amazing as a potential collaborator or person to have a conversation with. And you know, many times you will open your studio for someone and you'll be like, you know, it's just a nice chat. Nothing will come out of it. Um, and then this person somehow is uh, two, three years later curating some major um, institute or gallery and they will remember that you were welcoming them and, and, and that they had an amazing time before they were established. Or So it's even on that, on that level, it's really, it's really good. And maybe something that will interest our listeners what sort of preparations from your side go into putting on a solo display at an art fair with such a renowned gallery? Well, you know, you do what you always do. You just want to make it better all the time. Of course, when there's such a nice, exciting um, momentum, then it's just, it's just nice because then you get more motivated. 
but the way that I would approach it is the same way. I mean, whenever I have a, an exhibition, my process would be first like diving in and really like cocooning myself to also um, neutralize all the outside, you know, effects and just be like, okay, what am I feeling? How am I building this body of work? What feels right for me? A very, very like intuitive, just like um, how many works, what scale, what composition. It could be very abstract, just like really diving in. And I love working in series and bodies of work and not so much fragmented because uh, at times like every work or every body of work will, will tell a certain story or will create a certain realm. Um, and I love having this connection and having like this installation value also in it. So I would have like this general base of a vision and then diving in to actually build every work. Yeah. And kind of going back to what I touched on or what we touched on a little bit earlier regarding maybe pornographic imagery or sex, I want to talk about art censorship. But first, I want to ask, what role does Instagram or social media play in your practice? Not just in the sense of the fact that social media has garnered a lot of opportunities and things like that, but also when it comes to considering how you display your work online? I think everybody would <laughs> agree that it's like a love-hate relationship. It's like you, on the one hand, you, you get inspired, you have like this immediate, maybe too immediate impression of what's going on and how other people are showcasing what they do and what maybe is resonating with you. Sometimes even things we don't want to have like really implemented like are, are also sticking around. So I guess it's a tricky one. I think many of, of my creative or, or non-artist creative friends are struggling a bit with the Instagram because it feels like it's such a wealth there's everything you just become like a consumer but what's actually your attention span over there it like really fucks up your frequency in a sense I feel like am, am I really like looking at what I see I, I really value this space for this access for everything but really having to know how to limit or have limits or separate yourself at times, just like put down your phone. I don't even know if that answers your question if, or if I was just triggered. <laughs> but um, yeah. No, absolutely it does. I think that any type of stance to how social media has an effect on what type of imagery we're consuming and how it then in turn has an effect on our practice, whether it be, as you said, an artist or a non-artist creative, it, it does. It it affects how we go about things. Yeah. And I think I think uh, maybe a key would be to just try to like really understand and articulate to yourself what's happening. Like if you just want to scroll, fine. I mean, let's just get like some, I don't know, 20 minutes of like just staring at the screen or whatever, an hour or whatever. But in terms of having myself out there or my persona out there, how much of my energy do I actually want to spend on it? How much is too much of exposure because it fucks up my natural process and my need for my sacredness and just the 
natural time that things take. So how do I try to define to myself the amount of time and energy that this is taking also in my studio? Does it like scatter me if I take videos of myself painting or can I do that every once in a while? Uh, should I post photos of works of process? Does it make sense because it engages people or maybe it's something that I don't want to show and also it can change its specific points. Like if you have an important show coming up, maybe you shouldn't share so much, maybe just share teasers. So just like try to um, just have like a few defined goals of how you want to be out there. That brings me to my next question because of the content and the subject matter of your art, because I was supposed to actually give a talk on this topic, but it got postponed it was supposed to be on art censorship. And what I was going to look at is how the Vienna Tourist Board back in 2018, they wanted to create this poster that was quote unquote obscene because it was using a painting by Egon Schiele and it was a nude. And I actually did a whole podcast episode on this, on art censorship, but I was going to continue my investigation of art censorship using another example of the Vienna Tourist Board, because recently in 2021, they signed up for the website OnlyFans. So would you ever consider going on a site like OnlyFans just to show your art in an online social media platform without it being censored? I would consider it and maybe that complexity of the context could even be interesting for, you know, what the work is actually trying to talk about. As far as to, to, to this day, I had a few incidents of censorship, but then I appealed saying, you guys, this is a painting. <laughs> you cannot censor. And then actually they uh, replied and they reposted my, my post acknowledging that they've mistaken. But, but a lot of other people had had, had um, their work taken down or their account blocked. So, I mean, things that are not getting censored are, are just like unbelievable. And then the things that are being censored are just... It's like, it's a, it's a female nipple, guys. Like, get over it. <laughs> yeah, like, what's going on? And um, how are these, like, random rules of censorship even, like, you know, they are ruling our consumption of visuals in such a significant way. It's insane. So we just see, you know, we see butts all day, but no nipple. It's like, I think it, it's interesting to see what happens. And I like the fact that museums or institutes will open an account in OnlyFans because what it does, it kind of disrupts a bit like the question of what's taboo or not and what's considered legit or not. And this I really like because then other platforms also might develop or, you know, that can give an alternative that can be a bit broader in their context and everything. So, yeah. I completely agree with you. And because I'm giving this talk at a, I'm giving it at a members club. So I'm not going to divulge too much of what the content of the talk is on this podcast. However, after I give the talk, I will create an episode to follow up on that. And we can chat about it further because I think it's such a valuable conversation. But speaking of divulging plans and things, are there any plans or goals for your career that you can divulge with me here today? 
my plan is definitely to find um, or to establish a more solid representation in several places in the world, which is already in, in progress. And then to really have to feel like I have like a representation with places that, you know, I have a good, good communication and uh, solid one around the world. And of course, like institutional significant exhibitions, like DreamWise. Honestly, since I saw the last exhibition at the Hayward Gallery in London, uh, it was the it wasn't the last time I was there, but it was in in 2019. There was the Karatia huge exhibition with also another show by of uh, Dan Arbus and uh, the level of curation. If you are not only like the context, but every time I go, it's just like mind blowing. So you know that would be like really like Cliff Lawson, who is uh, the curator there. That would be like something to to dwell dreaming of for sure that would be nice amazing thank you for sharing that with me I think that that's so wonderful and um you know manifesting here on the podcast there we go for sure yeah 100% Um, (laughs) and this is my very last question and it's a bit of a fun one just kind of to to end the episode if you could have dinner with one artist from art history, who would it be and why? You know what? There are so many possible answers to this to this question, of course. <laughs> but I would say, like, for real, if I would have, like, an evening to share with an artist, I would say Marina Abramovich. And I think, actually, the fact that she's a living artist is is a good reason to spend time with her because I want to learn about what's happening now from someone who has been here a bit longer and has this amazing legacy of bringing very fragile issues, bringing them to the surface. I think this is very, you know, very inspiring. And also as a performance artist, like, and the way that the political and the emotional are just in, intertwined, are so inspiring. And I would also say, like, it's so amazing to have colleagues or conversations with people who are not from your generation only, you know, two generations younger, two generations older, whatever. It's so important. Oh, absolutely. And I find it so valuable to have this kind of intergenerational exchange. Yeah, it's amazing. It's just, um, it's such a gift. If you open your friendship spectrum to other ages, it's so important. Absolutely. Well, Aline, that concludes all of my questions. I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time on a Saturday morning to sit down with me and record this episode. I'm a huge fan of your work. I am so excited that you decided to come on and I'm really excited to see all of the projects that are happening this year. Thank you so much. It's really lovely to start my Saturday with you and happy to, you know, keep in touch. And thank you also for having this platform to have like a really inspiring place for artists in all points of their career to have a feeling like they could, they could have something also concrete. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) thank you. And that is it for today on All About Art. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a rating or a review as it helps more people discover the show. Also, feel free to share with your friends, or if you share on social media, tag me and get in touch. Thank you so much for listening.